So the Beatitudes, these familiar words of Jesus that begin with blessed are the poor in spirit. They're familiar words. And we're invited to hear them again. We hear them so many times and sometimes they can become so familiar. And we know what that's like, that we hear words and we repeat them. Even something like we say the Lord's Prayer and we say those words over and over again. And we hear the words and sometimes what we need to do is to hear them again. Or maybe hear them for the first time. And I know as I've been studying and going back to these and re-looking at these words of Jesus, to realize that Jesus is doing something different here. For a long time, and I think maybe this is my personality, as I saw these words as something where Jesus was encouraging us, he was telling us how we should behave. He was giving us an idea that says, if you want to be blessed, that you will do these things. And as I've read through it and reflected on it more, I think Jesus is saying something different. So first we set kind of the stage as Jesus is delivering this, which is perhaps one of his most famous sermons. He's coming as he, he's announcing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is simply God beginning to make all things right. Beginning to restore things to way, the way they're supposed to be. We said that earlier in the prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's sort of parallel lines saying the same thing. So God's kingdom is where his will is done. And so we think about the kingdom of God and its coming. And this sermon is about life in the kingdom. About what it looks like. And it begins with blessings. And blessings are God's actions on our behalf. It's God acting to deliver us. It's God's act of grace. And if we pay attention to who he's speaking to. So the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted... I think what Jesus is getting at is he's speaking to those who are often on the outside. Those who maybe people would look at, particularly in the first century, and think God's not paying a whole lot of attention to them. That they're not the ones who are at the center of what God is doing. But what Jesus is saying is that that's exactly who God is inviting to. That he's looking around and he's seeing and God is acting and saying, you're not excluded from the kingdom of God because you're poor. You're not excluded from the kingdom of God because you're mourning. You're not excluded from the kingdom of God because you're meek. In fact, I'm reaching out to you. And that was Jesus' message when he came. And he said, I have come to announce good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the captives. Jesus looks at us. Jesus looked at the people around. And God looks at us and looks and brings in and says, the people in the kingdom of God are not the people who you think are in the kingdom of God. Instead, there's this upside down kingdom and God is reaching out. So when Jesus is declaring these blessings, he's not so much describing behaviors, but people groups. He's casting a vision. He's saying, things aren't what they look like. He's almost asking us to imagine. He's saying, Sometimes when we look around and we see the condition that people are in, we see what's happening, we look at people, we have an idea in our head of who's in and who's out. We maybe have in our idea, in our head of which people God is paying attention to and which people God is blessing. And Jesus is saying, it's maybe not who you think it is. In fact, the people I'm looking to, the people I'm saving the people I'm working towards are the poor in the morning, in the meek. 
And so he's talking about, in some sense, God's deliverance, that God is coming and saying, looking at people who are in these situations and bringing them in. And that's kind of how each one starts. So if we looked and they blessed are the poor in spirit, each one begins with this word that blessed. It expresses joy and happiness that God is doing something. That these people are blessed not because they're poor in spirit, but in spite of the fact that they're poor in spirit. They're not blessed because they're mourning, but in spite of the fact that they're mourning. That God is reaching out to people in those situations and bringing them in. And I don't think he's necessarily even speaking to individuals. He's talking about groups of people. And he's saying, this is what God is doing right now. If you're poor in spirit, God is reaching out right now with his blessing and he's coming to you. And not only right now is he coming, but there's a time coming in the future when yours is the kingdom of heaven. There's a time coming when those who are mourning will be comforted, when those who are meek will inherit the land. And so there's this picture of what's going on. These are not, do this and be blessed. And I don't think that's what he's getting at here. But it's saying you have been blessed before doing anything. And that God's inviting us to participate. So what Jesus is saying is, God is reaching out to people. He's creating a kingdom. And then he's saying, I want you to participate in this kingdom. He's saying, this is the kind of people that God rescues. And now some of these may describe us. And one of the things I want us to pay attention to is, nowhere does Jesus suggest that we have to have all of these things. Or that he's about all of this stuff. But as a part of the kingdom, we're called to live in solidarity with people and reach out the same. So that's kind of the big picture. But so maybe a better way to do it is just let's, we're going to look at some of these and we'll see how far we get on some of these and what I'm talking about in terms of this. So the first one, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the first question is, what does he mean by poor in spirit? And especially if you are somewhat familiar with your Bible and you think, well, in the gospel of Luke, it records a similar sermon of Jesus, and he just says the poor. And so is it the poor, or is it the poor in spirit? Is he just talking about physical poverty when there's just not enough money to pay the bills, or to buy the food to eat? Or is he talking about a poverty of spirit where you recognize that you don't lack? Yes. Or both. I think it's both. He's, he's not, there's not a desire to separate these two. But I think what Jesus is getting at is this tradition in the scripture of there are people, the humble poor. People who are economically impoverished, but they recognize their need for God. So he's not trying to separate out and say it's one or the other. He's pointing to people who have nothing in terms of financial resources, and they also have nothing in terms of spiritual resources. So if you imagine Jesus giving this first sermon and there's this group of people who have nothing financially and they have nothing spiritually, who's going to think they're a part of God's kingdom? People are going to look and outside and say, well, God certainly isn't going to create his kingdom or build his kingdom around those people. They've got nothing to give. They don't have any money. They can't support the ministry and the mission. They don't have anything spiritually. So how's God going to use them? And what Jesus is saying is, that's exactly, 
the kind of people, that's exactly what I'm going to do because God is always surprising and God is reaching out. God isn't looking and saying, well, you've got a lot so I can use that. God looks and says, it doesn't matter. I'm going to use and I'm going to reach out to you. And so these people are blessed not because of, but in spite of. Jesus isn't saying we can be blessed by recognizing our spiritual poverty. I mean, Jesus isn't saying we can be blessed by being humble. Who doesn't think they're humble? Everybody thinks they're humble, right? Jesus doesn't say, well, if you just act humble, if you get humble, then I'm going to bless you. Because it kind of turns into this weird thing then because you're saying, well, I lack spiritual poverty, so I'm going to tell you about my lack of spiritual poverty. Therefore, you're going to bless me because of my lack of spiritual poverty. That doesn't make any sense. But instead, what God, Jesus is getting at is he's reaching out to people who seem beyond God's blessing. And I think that's part of the story of what Jesus is doing here is saying, there is no one who is beyond God's reach and beyond God's grace. It's not a matter of, I'm going to work my way into the kingdom, but instead, I'm going to reach out. He's not saying the poor in spirit are perfect, but pointing to how God is present to love and redeem them. There is a humility, but I think humility, Stassen and Gushy say it this way, humility means calling attention not to how lowly I am, but to God's grace. Humility is not calling attention to how lowly I am, but to God's grace. And so this humility, this sense of humility, God is reaching out to people who rely completely on that. And it's not simply be poor. I don't think Jesus is telling us, well, the best way to get his blessing is to be poor. But what he's instead doing is say, saying, God is blessing the poor, not because their virtue is perfect, but because God wants to rescue the poor. That's his point. God is reaching out to the people who are poor. That Jesus brought good news to the poor. He invited them in. And so he's in part saying, you may think you have nothing, but your reliance on God, but God is reaching out and blessing you. But beyond what he does then is he looks to us and says, this is the nature of my kingdom. This is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. And so he calls us to participate in it. And so there is a sense where Jesus is calling us to do something. This is where it gets kind of, we have to stop and think about it. Jesus is calling us to do something. But what he's calling us to do is to participate in the kingdom that he is bringing. He's not calling us to do something so he will bless us. He's saying, I'm blessing this kind of people and I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of that. And so we look and we say, we rejoice because God is actively delivering the poor. And we as a community can participate in that. That part of God's call to his people, part of what God is doing in the kingdom is bringing good news to the poor. He's bringing good news to those who are poor in spirit and those who are poor financially. And oftentimes those two go together, but not always. And so this last summer, one of the part of my sabbatical, we went to visit and spend some time with Jesus People USA in Chicago. And so Jesus People USA comes out of the movement of the Jesus People of the 70s. It's a fascinating community. They live 
the 200 plus people who make up Jesus people, it's a church, live all together in one building. This 10-story apartment building, they live on the first seven floors and the top floors are occupied by senior living. And so they live together in community. And when you enter into the community, one of the things you do is you give up your finances. You no longer own a car. You no longer own this thing. And the community then operates that and you live in what they call tiny homes. And so people move in and it's a room, I don't know, what are they, 20 by 20 maybe? Maybe 20 by 20 room, and that's their house. It's a small, small hotel room is essentially what they're living in. They share meals together. They eat dinner down together. There's a cafeteria, and they take turns cooking and doing. But part of it is the recognition about wealth, but also they live together, and they pool those resources because one of their goals is to serve the poor in the community. And so they operate a homeless shelter, they operate a coffee shop, all different ways to try and reach out to the poor. And when I think about the Jesus people, USA, I think of people who hear this word of Jesus that say, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And they recognize this is the movement of God. This is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, is it's reaching out to the poor and to those who are outcasted. And the homeless are often exactly that. I mean, I know for me, walking in Chicago and there just down the street from where Jesus' people was, you would go under one of the underpasses and there were just rows and rows of tents of people living underneath the overpasses there. And my tendency as I walked under those bridges and I went that way a couple times and I went running that way a couple times was to kind of turn my eyes away. To kind of wonder, like, I, and what the people that Jesus beat Japuza did was they recognized like, no, these are the people that God is reaching out to. And it's a call also to us to not turn our eyes away. Now, while we don't have the tents and such here in Fruitland Township or around Muskegon, we all probably turn off 31 at some point and come to one of the exit ramps and there's somebody there with a sign and sometimes there's a tendency within us to think, oh, they probably already have a job. They've got the BMW parked down the street and they're just scamming me for money. I don't know what they're doing, but, but I think what Jesus is inviting us here to do is to say, this is exactly who God is reaching out to. That God doesn't look at them and say they have nothing. But instead, the, he says about people who are poor, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that this is who God is reaching out, that God is acting to deliver and to bring out these people. And he's inviting us to participate in that. To think about how do we participate in the good news of the kingdom that says to the poor and to the poor in spirit, yours is the kingdom of heaven. It may not to be to sell all your goods and move and live with Japuza. But it may be something that God is calling you to do. And I don't know what it looks like for each of us. But what I would invite you to do is listen. What is the Spirit calling me to do to participate in the work of the kingdom? To say if God's kingdom looks like good news for the poor. How am I a part of that good news? How am I helping proclaim that good news? 
And I would suggest that it's not enough to simply come to someone who lacks financial resources and say, good news for you, Jesus loves you. That may be part of it, but it may include something more. Jesus then goes on and he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Most of us have mourned at some point in our life. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, something that's grieved us deeply. And we're going to talk in a minute about mourning. How many of you, when you were mourning, felt like you were blessed by God? Probably none of us. But Jesus says it here, right? Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. So is he telling, well, if we want to be blessed by God, we should mourn more? I don't think that's what he's getting at. So mourning can mean, has two different meanings. It can be something that speaks to grief or sadness. That exactly that type of thing that we've all felt when we've lost something. But it can also reflect on repentance. The sense of looking at the sin in our own life or the sin of our community, of our nation, of our church, and say, I'm mourning over that. I'm sad because of the way we're doing. But what Jesus speaks to is he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, it says this about God. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so I think part of what Jesus is getting at is he's saying to people who are mourning that loss, that deep loss inside their life, is to say, it won't always be this way. Now again, flipping to the practical side. In the moment of someone's grief at a funeral or when they've lost someone, may not be the best time to dump this truth bomb on them. It may not be the best time to say, oh, it's okay. Because you'll see them again someday. It's a truth and it's helpful, but it's not always helpful in the moment. So that's just a little bit of side, side advice to say, while these things are true, sometimes we need to be careful about when exactly we share that truth and recognizing when that truth comes. But it's the reality what Jesus is saying here to the people is to say, those who mourn, you will be comforted. And he's also talking about some sense about mourning for the sins. And so in the book of Isaiah chapter 61, he's talking about again, Jesus had quoted these words. He says, to proclaim the year, the sovereign Lord has anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And what he's saying here is he's saying these people are grieving over what's going on in Jerusalem, the people of God and their sins, but they're blessed because God will wipe away every tear. And what Jesus is saying is it's beginning in me. It's beginning in Jesus that God is beginning this work of restoring all things, of moving to that moment when God will wipe away every tear, when that moment when forgiveness will come. And he's saying that life in the kingdom of God involves grief and repentance and the hope of restoration. 
So what does it look like for us? It looks like participating in that same thing to reach out to people who are grieving. It's in our own part. We, we, we participate in the kingdom by grieving our own sins, by mourning over our own sins, by mourning over the sins of the world. We participate in the kingdom by mourning over the pain and the suffering in the world. But we also participate in the kingdom by reaching out to those who are in that same place. And that goes back to my little bit of advice. Reaching out to them may not be simply share, sharing a Bible verse about how God really loves them and how God will fix everything in the end. But sometimes what people need in the midst of mourning is simply someone to be there. To comfort them and to sit and to listen. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. He's talking about what God is going to do. But our participation in that oftentimes is to simply be there for people. So you see how these things work is there's this sense of, yes, it is God reaching out and God's initiation and God's saving deliverance. But it's also our part is to participate. We're not trying to earn God's blessing. God doesn't say, if you cry really hard, I'll bless you. God isn't saying, find something to, cry, to mourn about and then you'll be blessed. Instead, he's saying, I am the kind of God who sees those who mourn. I'm the God of God, kind of God who sees the people who are in despair. I am the kind of God who sees those who are suffering. And I reach out and I'm working to make all things new. And there will be a day when that will be wiped away. And then he invites those of us in the kingdom to participate in that. To proclaim that good news and also to be the ones who bring it. He goes on, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Alright, how many of you have used the word meek? In the last six months. Probably not. Unless you're reading your Bible right. Meek is not one of these words that we, we use a whole lot. And so we think well. What does it even mean to be meek? What do, what do you think of when you hear the word meek? Scaredy cat. Scaredy cat right? I mean scaredy cat kind of the doormat. And, you know, somebody's down like this. Saying, I don't know about that. I'm kind of meek. There are two people in the Bible described as Meek. Anyone want to guess who those two people are? Moses. Moses is one of them. Jesus. All right. So did either of those two strike you as scaredy cats or doormats? No. Not at all. So what does it mean to be meek? It comes in um, Psalm 37, 11. It says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Meek doesn't mean the weak or the doormat, but there is a sense in which meek is about a connection to peace versus violence. So in, later in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is entering Jerusalem, so later Jesus is preparing to offer his life as a sacrifice, and he enters into Jerusalem, and he rides on a donkey or on the colt. It says this, um, Matthew quotes the book of Zechariah and says, Say to daughter Zion, See your king comes to you gentle or meek and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so in a sense, the word meek equates with gentle. But it's gentle in the sense of not being violent. And so there's this contrast that Matthew sets up in quoting Zechariah there is thinking about inheriting. And I think part of it, we get a little confused because it says inherit the earth. And really the sense is inherit the land. 
inherit the land they lived in. And so God had promised the people of God that they would have a land to live in. The promise in Genesis 12 that there'd be this land they would live in and they would have this. But in Jesus' day, who did the land belong to? The Romans. It didn't belong to the people. And so there was a group of people within the nation of Israel called the Zealots. And they wanted, they thought, well, God's supposed to give us a land back. And they decided they were going to help things along a little bit. And the way to help things along was with violence and a sword. And Jesus, I think here is saying that the land won't belong to those who use a sword and do with violence, but instead those who trust in God for deliverance. Those who invite. And so to say that blessed are the meek is to an invitation to wait for God to work. And we look at it, and if we were looking from the outside and looking in the world's perspective, if something doesn't, that God has promised you hasn't come yet, the world might say, well, go and take what's yours. And God is saying, no, the kind of people who I bless and the kind of people I work towards are those who wait patiently. Those who are gentle, those who choose not to act with violence, but instead to be humble. And he's calling us to participate. Finish up with the last one here for today. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So how many of you have ever been hungry? Oh, we've been hungry, right? And you're thirsty. And, and hung, if you have food, you're probably not hungry, right? But instead, hunger and thirst means they're longing for something, that there's something not there. And righteousness is probably a sense of conforming to God's will, but it's also a sense of justice. And so, and again, quoting Isaiah 61, which is a helpful passage as we read the Beatitudes. It says, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all the nations. And so righteousness is the sense of wholeness of the community. And what he's saying, he's looking at these people He's saying, what kind of people are blessed? That there's a group of people who are hungering and thirsting for things to be made right. They're looking around the world and say, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And God, in Jesus, is saying, I'm coming to you. I'm already acting to bring about what you want. And that hunger, that thirst for the world to be made right, I'm going to fill it. I'm going to make the world right. And he's inviting us to participate in that. God is saying that things will change and we join in that longing. And so as we think about these Beatitudes, that's kind of how I'd like you to kind of flip your thinking a little bit about them. To say, first of all, it begins where the story of God always begins, with God acting out of grace to save and deliver. God is acting to save and deliver the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This isn't an attempt to build our way, to work our way into God's kingdom, but instead God's kingdom is coming. And it's coming to the unexpected. It's coming to the people who, it's surprising. It's not coming to the people who you would think it would come to. Because there's a temptation always to build the kingdom and say, like, look, I think back to 
elementary school days and the joy of the playground during recess when it was time to divide up and choose teams for kickball. Somebody always got chosen last, right? Sometimes it was some of us. And some kids got chosen first. And we, and we were chosen based on, like, oh, that kid's really fast, or that kid's the great, or they, they're good. And the ones who were like, hey, you know, that kid couldn't, you know, kick a ball ever. And so there's this divide. And there's this way of looking at things and saying, who do I choose to be on my kickball team? Well, you want the kids who can kick and the kids who can run and the kids who can catch and not the kids. And we sometimes think that way, same way about the kingdom of God. That God looks around and he, who does he choose? Well, he chooses the people who've got the most money. He chooses the people who are happy. He chooses this kind of people because those are the people that obviously have got everything all together. And Jesus is saying, no. Instead, what Jesus does is this crazy thing. He gathers around himself all the people that everybody else ignores. Jesus spent his life having dinners and meals and preaching to people that everybody else thought were the losers and the outcasts and the outsiders. And he looked and said, yours is the kingdom of heaven. God is coming and blessing you. And he invites us to participate in the same thing. To turn and flip our vision instead of trying to see the world through our own eyes, to see the world through God's eyes and look and say, who is God blessing? Where does God work and save? And then invites us to participate in the good news of the kingdom. To find ways to bring good news to the poor. To bring good news to those who mourn. To bring good news and be a blessing to the meek. To bring good news to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the call of the kingdom of God. God acts, God saves, God delivers, God chooses, and then he invites us to be a part of that. Jesus is amazing, isn't he? I mean, you hear that and say, how can I not love this Jesus? This Jesus that is so different, so unique. May we see Jesus as his incredible love. And may we share that with the world around us. Amen.